Would you like to connect with experienced finance and accounting professionals for mentorship and career advice? Do you want to hear how the leaders in your profession got where they are now? Are you looking for a networking space, especially for the finance and accounting community? Then FEI Engage is the place for you. FEI Engage is the only community and content hub focused strictly on finance and accounting. It gives you access to the wisdom and experience of long-tenured professionals so you can make savvy decisions about your future. Visit www.financialexecutives.org forward slash FEI hyphen engage or click on the link in this episode's show notes to learn more. I'm Olivia Berkman, and welcome to the FEI Weekly Podcast. This episode is part of a series we call How I Got Here. I interviewed Senior Director of Global Technical Accounting and Policy at Nike, Holly Grennan, about being an accidental mentor and how she balances her love for technical accounting with her creative side. Hi, Holly. Hello. Can you tell me a little bit about your path to college and your undergrad experience? Because it's a little bit untraditional for, you know, a, a finance accounting person. That's exactly what my dad called it, untraditional. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, you know, I grew up in a family that you went to college. That was kind of what you were supposed to do. And so right after graduating high school, that's what I did. I went to University of Washington. Uh, I was an art major because I thought that would be easy. And it's not. It's very, very hard. Um, but I did that for a couple of years. And then probably about five minutes before they asked me to politely leave, I, I dropped out. <laughs> um, I wasn't super successful the first time I went to school and uh, took a a few years break and then went back to school on the East Coast and at that point decided accounting might be the thing for me without really understanding what accounting was. Um, but I liked uh, balancing cash registers and counting money and I think really at the time I mostly just didn't want to live paycheck to paycheck and I thought, oh, accountants make a lot of money. So <laughs> um, went back and got my accounting degree Um at that point. So I, I was quite a bit older when I finally graduated. And a lot of people think of art and accounting as kind of opposites. Do you feel that way? Do you see it that way? Because I know you are a creative person while also obviously being talented, and, you know, with money. I think, um, no, I actually see a lot of similarities to it. There's a kind of a balance that you try to achieve. There's being open to uh, listening to different points of view and kind of getting a full picture. Um, and there's also a creativity, which sounds like that's a word you don't really want to use in accounting. But there is, you do have to think creatively about different transactions or um, issues that aren't addressed, you know, in a black and white way uh, by the guidance and and think through different paths and what makes sense and how do you stay consistent with other decisions you've made. So I think there is a lot of symmetry between the two. 
So when you went back to school, you were, I believe you told me that you were um, taking summer class. So you were trying to graduate as quickly as possible, right? And you were taking summer classes, but you were also working full time. What was, when you think back to that time, how do you feel about it? I feel proud about it. You know, I I think, um, I also feel like that was the way that I need to do it. I wasn't a great student. Uh, I don't have a love for uh, being in school. I've, I've probably benefit, benefited and grew the most through experience, like being in a role or living a life experience, et cetera. So being um, in school was just, I was not that person. So I think working full time while I was in school and having to pay for it myself the second time around, that was a big incentive to getting done as quickly as possible. But having that goal really to get my degree and um, and move into the real world and be earning, you know, a steady paycheck and everything was really what I needed personally, obviously, because I didn't make it the first time. <laughs> and then you yeah. ended up in Portland, right? So tell me about an on-campus interview. And so oh, tell me, tell, tell me about that. You really want to embarrass me, don't you? <laughs> I, That's why we're I, here. Because I worked full time when I was in school and I was older, I didn't do a lot of the on-campus activities that help young adults like prepare for the working world, like accounting society and, and things like that. I wasn't in a sorority. I wasn't, you know, anything like that. So at one point they announced that they were going to do some on-campus interviews by some of the big four at the time when I was there, the big eight firms, just so you know how old I am. I thought, oh, this is so nice of them to come and help us practice. It was like the fall before you were going to graduate. So I thought, oh, we're, they're just here to help us practice interviewing. That's so that's pretty cool of them. So I signed up to do a few and having no idea I was interviewing, just sort of going in and having a chat. And then uh, you got invited to their offices after that, which I thought was really nice of them. I mean, how sweet of them to invite us to come, you know, on their time and see their offices and everything. So I went and did a couple of those. I ended up at Arthur Anderson and they took me out for lunch at the Four Seasons, which I was like, this is so posh. And afterwards, I had actually opened the Nordstrom in Pennsylvania and it was a new thing over there. And everybody was really fascinated by the Nordstrom culture and things like that. So the office managing partner asked to meet me at this on-site interview. And um, so I was like, oh, he just wants to know about Nordstrom. I go into his office, like all chrome and black leather and, you know, what you would imagine back then. And I'm sitting there with my handbag on my knees and he comes in. He's like, well, you know, everybody really liked you. And, you know, based on all the feedback, we want to we want to extend an offer to you. And I was like, an offer of what? Like, I had no idea what was happening. I didn't know that this was an actual interview. I thought it was just like mock interview kind of practice. My legs start shaking. My purse goes flying. So now I'm on my hands and knees in the office, picking up all the stuff in my purse, which you can imagine what's in a girl's purse. Um, And I was like, well, that's very interesting. I, you know, I have a few other offers to consider. I'm going to have to get back to you. He's just laughing at me knowing, you know, this girl doesn't have a clue what's going on. I think we've got her. (laughs) Um, And so that's how I got my job. 
uh, my first job with Arthur Anderson in Philadelphia and without having any idea that I was actually interviewing. So funny. I love that story. (laughs) I had no idea what they even did at that point. So I worked there for a couple years and then um, I'm from the West Coast. I grew up on the West Coast and had some family back here and just really kind of wanted to get back here. And um, so put out some feelers and Portland office came back first with an offer. And so I relocated to Portland about two and a half years into my career. And at what point did you start living abroad? I was a new manager. So I I love Ireland. I traveled there. I felt like my heart belonged to Ireland and I, I really wanted to live there. And one of my clients has offices there. So I was looking actually at roles uh, with that client. And one of the partners saw that and said, don't be crazy. Like go over, do a rotation. That way you have a path home if you want it, et cetera. So I think it was about 2005, I believe. So it was after Enron and and all that had happened. We had Anderson on the um, in the Pacific Northwest collapsed into KPMG. So now I was working for KPMG, and this opportunity came up. So I moved to Ireland for three years, worked in their professional practice, and did a lot of their U.S. Gap type you know, U.S. filers that had, there was a lot of shared services just starting up um, in Ireland. So I did a lot of those, that sort of thing. It was, it was an amazing experience. I highly recommend anybody taking advantage of actually living and working abroad if possible. It gives you a completely different view on how things work and how differently they work around the world. The way we do it here in the States is not the way it's done everywhere else. Um, And it's, I think, knowing that helps you understand more transactions and things that are going on in other parts of the world. And in fact, you look for people who have international experience, right? When you, when you're hiring, not, not just travel, um, you're really looking for people who put their roots down and, you know, got acclimated to another culture and the way that they do things, right? Absolutely. I, you know, knowing that I I run the technical accounting team at Nike, it's a very small group, but we we really own all the technical accounting decisions for the company worldwide. And if you work for a multinational large company, having that understanding of transactions and how different they are is so important to coming to the right conclusion, applying that conclusion consistently, given all the differences around the world. Um, it's it's invaluable experience. So I definitely, it's, it's very high on my wants. Um, and for the most part, my team has international experience. What do you love the most about technical accounting? <laughs> I know. Because I, you do love it. Is that fair I to do. say? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's like a puzzle oftentimes. So you have to work through a puzzle. You have to work out very complex issues and, and problems, try to apply the rules in a consistent way across you know multiple transactions. So you don't want to do anything that's too tailored for one specific issue that's going to cause you problems down the road with other issues. So I like that having to think about the big picture and, like I said before, get a little creative 
in how you apply GAP, um, what makes sense, what makes sense for your particular company. Um, I do like working in industry because you have a little bit more freedom to be very tailored to your company in your industry versus more ivory tower and trying to do that consistency and that approach that will apply to multiple industries, which would be more challenging. And I also like arguing different positions. I mean, I don't, there's probably a better word to use than arguing, but I think anyone who knows me would think that that word was pretty descriptive. I, I like arguing with the national offices, um, not fighting, but just arguing through points. And um, I like working with the FASB on um, on some of their outreach and providing a perspective and um, information that they might not have um, to help drive standard setting. I like noodling with my team on on problems. Like we like we get we do nerd out quite a bit. I, I'm sure you know you've heard a lot and talked a lot about you know the pipeline for finance and accounting, and not as many people are going into the profession for various reasons. What do you wish somebody told you about accounting? You know, as a profession when you were younger. The number one thing is is the opportunities that you can get in this profession. The travel I've done has been amazing. I've traveled almost the entire world at this point with my job. That's been an incredible experience across the board, just meeting people all around the world. Like I said, understanding how things are different. The the retail market is so different in different parts of the world. Like we're very used to multi-brand stores. Like you go into a Nordstrom or Dick's Sporting Goods and you can get any brand you want. And that's very different in other parts of the world where they're more of a mono-brand type situation where it's still another party that owns the doors, like a Nike door, um, but it looks like a Nike store. And so it's very brand by brand. And so I really love seeing those differences and and thinking through all those differences. I also, um, having gone through Enron and Sarbanes-Oxley and all that kind of stuff, there is a job security in accounting that is rare in any other part of finance, I'd say. A lot of finance roles are driven by uh, budget and like how much money you have at the time and what you can explore with. But accounting is a must. It's a regulatory requirement. So no matter what, there's a job out there. And having gone through a couple of different periods of real uncertainty, uh, that's been a benefit that I've had that other, you know, other friends haven't had. So I would share that. I would also share that it's not balancing checkbooks and, you know, just debits and credits. There's a lot more to it. And there's a, there's a growth that you get through critical thinking and, and having to work through these problems that you can apply anywhere else. So there's a lot of people that start out in accounting and then move into different areas or different types of roles. It's a foundation for almost any job I think that you would want, whether you want to own a business someday or go into finance or, you know, that sort of a thing. Yeah, I think those are great points. Uh, I want to ask you too about the significance of joining professional associations. I know you're a really active member of on FEI's um, Committee on Corporate Reporting. Tell me about that experience. 
That has been invaluable for me. That I mean, I would say that it's been a huge ramp in my professional growth for sure. Uh, I joined FEI about, shoot, like 10 years ago, 10 or between 10 and 12 years ago. I, I used to work at Intel and we, I was part of the committee for corporate reporting Um joined that and worked on the new revenue standard and the new lease standard and just getting to work with and benchmark and think through issues with CAOs and my peers at Fortune 50 and Fortune 100 companies has been invaluable. And then also that connection with the regulators and and speaking directly with the FASB and with the SEC and the PCOB on issues um, and feeling like you have more of a voice rather than you're just reacting all the time to what's happening, getting to influence um, what's happening and, and provide a point of view has been very fulfilling. Like it's made my it's taken my job to a new level as far as, you know, being excited to wake up in the morning and see what what I'm able if I can get people on my side on something or we're going through right now really trying to ramp up the interaction and collaboration between preparers and users of financial statements with the idea that if we can come together and come up with the best answer for all parties that might be a lot more effective than us giving our feedback to the FASB and investors giving their feedback to FASB and, you know, kind of playing the telephone game. So getting to do things like that, that could have a real difference has been but probably one of the more fulfilling parts of my role, for sure. And I, I know I keep coming back to this, but I just think it's it's so interesting. I, I want to know how you incorporate art and creativity into your life Outside of work, I love doing things in the home, like remodeling. I've, I've bought a several homes now, small homes, and not flip them, but I've always lived in them. But I've remodeled them and um, put my stamp on them. And I do a lot of that work myself. So building a tool shop now so that I have like a dedicated workspace. Built decks, have built furniture, have you know, there's things that I've done that I won't do again, like drywall. Definitely <laughs> contract that out. It's so messy. Good to know. Um, tiling and things like that. So I love doing all of that kind of stuff. I I designed a home and built it from the ground up. I got help. I had a architect come in and take my drawings and make them into builders' drawings. But getting to just design that space and so um, I do a lot of that, and then I. I do all the, you know, like I knit and sew and paint and, you know, all that stuff from art school. And I do a lot of that still just for fun. And you called yourself an accidental mentor when we last spoke. And I want to know what you mean by that. And and maybe you could share some advice that you give, you know, that you tend to give to your accidental mentees, um, <laughs> people who are earlier in their career. I... First of all, everybody is different. So everybody benefits from advice or input differently. Me personally, have I've never been a formal, they have programs where they set you up with a mentor and you meet with them on a, a particular cadence and you need to go in with your list and all this kind of stuff. It I, That's just never been my style. Um, 
I tend to collect people that I admire or respect or that I've learned something in particular from, and I don't let them go. And so that's what I've done for my, you know, to get my kind of, I have, I have bosses that I've had years ago that I still, that, you know, I don't work with anymore, but I have them on speed text and I constantly reach out and connect with them and run through issues with them. And, um, even just like career things that are going on. And I think I've fostered that going the other direction as well in that I'm pretty open door. I'm very usually quite blunt and quite uh, salty in my language and things like that. But I think it does put people at certain ease. There's a lack of formality that gives people comfort or makes them feel comfortable talking with me. Um, I'm very circumspect, you know, like if you bring something to me, I'm not going to go talk about it um, or name you or anything. I just, but I will advocate for whatever it is that you're raising or, or that sort of a thing. And I think I've just built this level of trust that I find now. And also I'm old. So I think that's another thing is, automatically people imbue you with a certain amount of wisdom when you get older and have a few gray hairs, which always makes me laugh because I'm still trying to figure things out. So I think that's another reason people will uh, reach out to me and ask my advice about certain things. The biggest advice I've always given, again, everybody is very different, but for me, what's worked is I always look for roles that I'm going to be challenged that I'm working with people that I want to work with or that I can learn with. And the promotions and and that sort of thing come. They just come. If you're doing something that you are challenged by, that you're loving to do, that you're learning from, um, I've never actively like done something to get a promotion. Like, oh, I need to get this role and this role, or I need to work with this person to get a promotion. It's always been, oh, this will be a good experience. This this leader empowers people to kind of own their business, et cetera. That might be interesting to work for. Or this leader is really involved with the FASB and, and that could give me some connections or I could see kind of how that process works. Um, I want to work for them. And the promotions have always just kind of come, even when I don't want them sometimes. <laughs> and so I think that's always been very, very effective for me and has worked for me. And I advise people to focus on that because even if the promotion doesn't come, you're getting something out of the role that you're doing. And you're you're going to be jazzed to come to work if you're challenged and you're working with people that you like to work with. And, and I just think that naturally will lead to advancement, whether it's at your company or at another company or, you know, whatever it's almost a different way to think of ambition, right? Because you're not ambitious for promotions, but what you are ambitious for is passion for what you're doing, excitement, getting to like sink your teeth into something, right? So it's, I I just love the way that you, you talk about, you know, moving up the ranks because that's really not necessarily the goal. It's not for you. um, And it doesn't have to be for anyone. That doesn't mean that you're not ambitious. Well, I think, yeah, exactly. And I think maybe that's a little bit what the art background Mm -hmm. helps, you know, kind of maybe shapes a little bit of that. 
I always say I have no ambition. Like I, I'm <laughs> not an ambitious person. I've, it, but that works for some people. Some people need to have this track and they want this plan and it works and they get mm-hmm. promoted and they get, you know, and that's great. Like, I, I think that's great. Sometimes, sometimes I wish I could be a little bit more like that. I do think I am lucky in that I work to live. I don't live to work. So Mm -hmm. I don't get a lot out of like what my title is. I get a lot out of what I'm doing. Right. Versus like what my title is. I'm also fortunate, you know, I I make a good living and things like that. So I it's pretty easy to sit in this space and say, Oh, I'm not ambitious at all. Like this is good. I recognize that. But again, I've gotten here just by doing what I want to do, working for whom I want to work for and keeping myself interested in showing up Mm -hmm. versus being really driven by what my title is or or that sort of thing. Yeah, I love that. Well, Holly, that was my last question for you. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great chatting with you. Oh, I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you. 